News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. You know, I never really thought about it in that way, the way Pete Moss in the opening just explained it. You can't comply yourself to freedom. And then he threw in that nugget. That's what prisons do. Wow. What a heavy thought for us to consider this morning. Hello there, everybody. Hi. Welcome back to TNN Live. It's Friday. You made it to the weekend. Now all you have to do is push through the next eight hours or so, and then you've got a couple of days to do anything and everything that you want. Well, how's it going for you today? How's your week been? Seriously, I'm asking. How are you doing? Is everything okay? Are you on top of it all? Do you have a lot of little bitty unfinished things? You know, those things that are aggravating. You just can't get your arms around them. And just when you think you got it all done, you see one or two over there. Man, I forgot about that. Well, that's part of life, folks. And I don't I don't know how old you are. I don't know what your status is, but let me just say this. That part of life, having things that are unfixed or hanging out there, things that we haven't done that we just really think we should, and I'm going to throw one out there, and I'll probably nauseate many of you when I do, taxes. Oh, my gosh. Taxes. At least last year, we got a little uh, delay thanks to COVID-19, Anthony Fauci, etc. We don't have that anymore. We don't have it anymore. Do you realize... Do you realize this about taxes? Do you know that that uh, Joe Biden, that thing that he wants to put in there, that luxury tax for the richest among us? That's part of his plan that's out there. I doubt it's going to be passed. But do you know if that passed, we would be the highest taxed nation on the earth? You think about that. Now, wait a minute, Dan. We have more money coming into the treasury through taxes now than ever before, more than any other country on the planet, right? Why would they want to raise taxes again? That's a great question. This government, the United States government, has morphed into nothing more than a bank account, a slot machine. And all that this Congress is doing and this president is doing is very, very angrily, aggressively, whatever you want to use the word in describing it, they want more money. They want more money to spend. And it's not like they're not spending more than we have. They just keep minting coins, sending out blank checks, and that's figuratively speaking. But we're in deficit spending from day one of every fiscal year. We're not going to make enough. We're not going to have a tax enough tax dollars to come in this year to pay for all of our government spending. That's what's called deficit spending. So why don't they do what we do at our house? You got bills you need to pay? What do you do? You sacrifice. You'll cut here and cut there to make sure you can pay all the bills, especially for the essential things that we have. Essential things. What would that be in federal government spending. 
What do you think it would be? I think it would be our military to protect us. I think it would be for the operation, just the operation, the bare bones operation amounts to run our government. Third, Social Security. And wait a minute, Dan, that's a giveaway. You know, that's something, no, 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 no. That is not a giveaway. Do you know that everybody that draws Social Security has been investing into Social Security by payroll deductions for their entire careers? And the same thing holds true for Medicare. We pay into it. We seniors have paid into it. In my case, since I was 16 years old, working payroll deductions for Social Security and Medicare, those are the essential things. Now, yeah, there were a lot of more important things too, a lot more important things in number. I'm not saying anything that's left out there I didn't mention is more important than the ones that I did. But the point is, our government, we need somebody at the top of our government that understands that, that understands how uh, revenue and expenses go and how you've got to somehow get to ground zero. What is that? That means you spend what you have and you don't spend anymore. There have been a couple of times in my life where we were revenue neutral at the end of every fiscal year. In other words, we didn't spend more in our government than our government received in tax revenue from us. What's the benefits of that? The economic situation in the nation stays very stable. Everybody begins to have more confidence in our government, which means they're going to start spending more. On what? Things like cars, homes, not just the essential things. Right now, folks, I know this. There are millions of Americans that are totally upside down financially in large part to what we're dealing with, with this rampant inflation. Everything costs tremendous amounts more than they did just a year ago. We have got to learn in our government, just like we have at home, you got to find a way to get to net zero. That's the starting point. It's not the ending point because you want to make more than you spend so you have a little bit left over at least. I can't believe I opened the show this morning talking about that because that's something that nobody in D.C. even gives a rip about. That's pretty obvious. But the people give a rip about that. The American people, those of us out here who are working and we're sending our money in. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be sending a check in a couple of weeks to Uncle Sam. You, many of you probably will too. Some of you get the um, tax return funds, tax refunds. You'll be getting those. That's wonderful. Put that in a safe place and don't spend it, whatever it is. Yeah, it's your money and you're just getting it back. I get all of that, but hey, Obviously, you didn't have to have it up to the tax date, so just forget about it. Put it somewhere, stash it away, rainy day fund, whatever you want to call it, because you have no idea what's going to be coming around the corner regarding your economic situations. I mean, those things can turn upside down pretty quickly. You know that. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And when I say take care, 
provide for all of the essentials and then be very diligent about how you spend the rest, including credit card stuff. Everything is costing way more. This automobile thing, it just blows my mind. I had a history in the automobile business. I started in sales, got in management at a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer in Louisiana, and then moved to another dealer in North Louisiana that was Ford Lincoln Mercury and Toyota. I understand how the car industry works. It's never seen what it's seeing now regarding new cars. They can't get the new cars that customers want. Well, they can get the cars. You know, the cars are mostly manufactured in the United States, but all of the parts in cars that we rely on China to send our way, and what are those things? You know, it's all the little bells and whistles, electronic bells and whistles. All of those things in your car that we take for granted, those things that provide us in our rearview mirror, the outside rearview mirror, when there's a car in our blind spot, a little light pops up on that outside mirror. That part is not available now. And so if you order a new car and you include that as a part of an option package, the new car will come in, but they'll tell you, we don't have that availability. That's just one example of what's out there. But what's happened in all of this, the new car stuff, is caused the prices of used cars to go higher and higher and higher because there aren't a lot of new cars. Not nearly like we've seen just taken for granted over the past years. Every sector of our economy is facing similar things. Now, is there a source, a reason, some place to put the blame for all of this? Well, just imagine if Donald Trump was a commander-in-chief. If he was a guy running our economy, what would we be saying? Donald Trump put this policy in place, and that's what's doing it. He stopped exploration of oil and gas. He shut down the pipeline stuff around the nation, not just the XL pipeline, but through regulations has slowed and stopped in some cases some other major pipelines. He can't do that. Well, he can. Joe Biden did it. So I guess if Donald Trump was in office, he could do it, but Trump wouldn't do it. Why? Because he has faith in the American people. He has faith in in the American workers. He wants to keep Americans working in good paying jobs. He wants us to grow our economy by improving our services and expanding our goods. How do we do that? It's, it's, it's a process. You know that. And the goal of every leader at the top of a nation, at the top of a corporation, or a little mom and pop operation, at the end of the month, you want to make sure you've had at least the same amount of money coming in that you need to pay the bills going out. And the perfect scenario is to pay less than you have coming in to cover the bills so you'll have money left over. Nations are no different, folks. How and why our nation, our leaders in the past, came up with the idea that it's okay to spend more than we have, and not just a little bit. These guys up there in D.C., they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars that we don't have in the bank. 
We can't even get to net zero. We can, but they won't do it. Why won't they do it? Nobody makes them do it. Who makes the government do what they do or stop doing what they're doing? Voters. And we have an election coming up, November the 8th. Big day in American history. We may be looking at the most historical election in our lifetimes. I think there's going to be a bloodbath. I think Democrats are going to be run out of D.C. in massive numbers. Now, always up here is that little asterisk behind what I said. What's the asterisk in this case? Well, I think that'll happen, but it will only be implemented if the election results aren't tampered with. Hmm. Have you thought about that moving forward? If you look back over our shoulders just a little over a year ago, the 2020 election in November of 2020, there was rampant irregularity. Even though the January 6th committee is out there and they're saying, in addition to there being horrible, despicable Trump fans that caused all kinds of major criminal activity, that we historically, MAGA supporters, we destroyed federal property, we tore that U.S. Capitol up, and we killed massive numbers of people that day. That's what they say. It isn't true. There's no doubt that there was lawlessness that happened. But the FBI arrested 700 people that were involved in that, that day. Not involved in the story that was put out there, but they were involved in some cases illegally going into the Capitol. That's not even a felony. 700 people, many of those thrown in jail in Washington, D.C., unable to meet with their attorneys. Family members couldn't come see them or talk to them. They were charged, but they were not being processed and not taken up for resolution of the charges against them in a court of law. Do you know that a year later, only four, now four, And that happened just in the last month and a half or being tried for what they did. And those charges in those cases, things like trespassing or illegal occupants of a federal facility. (laughs) Nobody's charged with killing anybody. The only gunshot that happened that day was a Capitol policeman that shot a protester in the back of the neck from behind and that person didn't have a gun, wasn't impacting anybody, wasn't making anybody feel like they were in danger physically, was just protesting and made a bad mistake. Ashley Babbitt and those that were with her, they went into the Capitol and that happened. But if you listen to all of the noise out there from the left, and they're still ramping it up, it's almost like, uh, can you look back and see something similar that happened just a few years ago? What about three years of Russia collusion? What about three years of howling, of hearing how Donald Trump was in cahoots with Vladimir Putin and got Vladimir and the other Russians under his orders to help Trump beat Hillary in the 2016 campaign? We had the Mueller investigation, the Russia collusion thing. And here we are, tens of millions of dollars later of taxpayer monies, we found out there was no there there. Trump didn't do anything, but you know who did? 
Hillary Clinton, her campaign, the Democrat National Convention, a whole bunch of people that were carryovers from the Obama administration that wanted to do anything and were willing to do everything that was necessary to keep Donald Trump from the presidency. And so they did. The Trump campaign was just ordered to pay a fine of millions of dollars for what they did. I think that's little more than a slap on the wrist. I think somebody should be criminally prosecuted for what they did and forced to pay back the taxpayer dollars that went into the fake Russia collusion investigation, the whole thing by Robert Mueller. We could sit here all morning and talk about that, everything about that. I'm just pointing things out here, folks, that we need to understand. In our government, and it's not political party-driven, what I'm about to say. We need to be careful about trusting anything that anybody in the United States Congress has to say. Now think about my saying that. Can you believe we even have to consider that in a government that is constructed and has been maintained for two and a half centuries as government by the people government for the people and government of the people. Government of the people is not government by heavy, heavy handed thugs that take all the liberties that they want in doing anything and everything they want to the populace and making the populace to do anything and everything that they want. It's odd that we hear the left screaming all the time when there's someone on the other side of the aisle that may be strong-willed, that may be not crazy and loud, but very right on, very stable, very clear what they believe in the ways of conservatism. And when that person or those people get a lot of attention and they see their poll numbers rise and they hear and see them on all of the conservative television shows, they get scared and they go into attack mode. It's so obvious when we see these things happen. And yet we have all of the ancillary noise of issues around the nation that grab our attention, and we can't even handle those things in government that we have direct control over, like who are we going to elect to serve in office? What office? The House, the Senate, the White House. Pretty important things that we need to concentrate on while all of the noise is going on. It's almost like Wacomo. You know, that little little uh, cartoon character pops up, and before you can hit him on the head and knock him down, two or three more jump up. That's the picture of our American government today. Well, you know, as bad as it is, compared to everything and every place else on Earth, it's not so bad. How would you feel today if you lived in Ukraine? 43 million people can answer that because they live in Ukraine. Many of them, millions of them, have fled the country during this invasion by Russia. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on there and what some people think is just ahead. But let's give you the latest. What's happening overnight in Ukraine and this morning on the other side of the world. 
We have now entered the sixth week of Russia's war on Ukraine. The United Nations now making a powerful move in suspending Russia from the U.N. Human Rights Council. All of this as NATO leaders meet in Brussels to discuss more sanctions for Russia and help for Ukraine. ABC's Alex Prochet with the story. This morning, after Russia was suspended from the United Nations Human Rights Council, new scenes like this explain why. This apartment block in Bucha took a direct hit. ABC's James Longman was with a man named Bowden, showing us what the attack did to his friend on the eighth floor. And that is the remains of his friend, his child remains. I mean, I'm looking at his, at his bones, at his, at his body here. Bowden saying he wants the whole world to know the truth about what's happening here. Russia has called scenes like these staged lies. But this morning, German intelligence has reportedly intercepted messages in which Russian troops discuss the indiscriminate killing of civilians. The Washington Post reports in two separate communications, Russian soldiers described questioning Ukrainian soldiers as well as civilians and then shooting them. With each day, more and more credible reports of rape, killings, torture are emerging. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says the situation is much worse in the town of Boryanka, where investigators say they found 26 bodies buried in rubble Thursday. He's accused Russia of using hunger as a weapon by blocking food supplies. Now, as this war shifts to the eastern part of the country, thousands of civilians are trying to flee. Speaking before NATO, Ukraine's foreign minister warning the battle for the region will be devastating. The battle for Donbas will remind you was Second World War. The U.S. Senate responding by voting to reinstall the Lend-Lease program, basically allowing President Biden to give Ukraine weapons for free, delaying the payments until later. But the House still has to approve the bill. That last segment is the one that I wanted to make sure you realized is going on. What is that? We're not sending weapons to the Ukrainian people. All we hear is the news stories when we're told, ah, we got this money. Now we're going we're gonna to take care of our friends in Eastern Europe. We're going to send them all these weapons and they'll be there overnight. Well, the be there overnight is it's what we think is going to happen. We're six weeks into this thing and very little of what our president has promised the Ukrainian people and the Congress has voted for us to do in the way of weapons. Very little of it has happened. Our government is slow playing, giving aid, life-saving aid, necessary aid to the Ukrainian people. Vladimir Putin, folks, he is a despot. He's a war criminal. There's no question about it. That'll all be handled afterwards if we ever get through this thing. But what we need to do are the things that we can do, that we have the ability to do, And one of those is we need to take care of what we said we were going to do and do it now. These people are dying every day. They're dying every day. I mean, what happened overnight? That train, a missile hit a train, a Russian missile hit a train, killed several and wounded more than 100 Ukrainian people. But one CIA agent, former agent for the CIA, he's warning us today. He's telling us that Vladimir Putin is ready to go to scorched earth. Here's what he said we need to do. 
our country as well as NATO got to change the policy and do more to help the war-torn Ukraine. Why? What can we do? Well, in part, we need to just get after it because negotiating with win-at-all-cost Russian Federation President Putin is pointless. This negotiation stuff we're doing, these sanctions, none of it's work. None of it's going to work. He's ready, we are told, to adopt a scorched-earth military campaign. Russia, Russian military forces, including mercenaries, and they've got thousands of those. Those are professional war people that are hired from around the world that go to work for whoever hires them. In this case, case it's Russia. They have reportedly committed war crimes and other atrocities for which they would need to be held accountable. At some point, we hope they will. These are the contentions of XCIA station chief Dan Hoffman. You've seen quite a bit on Fox. He says that fighting over there constitutes extraordinary destructive warfare, the likes of which haven't been seen since World War II. Hoffman has just painted a, a really bad picture. He agrees if the Biden administration's current strategy continues, we're in deep doo-doo. But is that what we really want? Do we want Russia to pummel Ukraine? How many more cities over there do we want to look at that look like Bucha? And how many more maternity wards like the one in Maripol can Russia be permitted to bomb indiscriminately before we really get serious? Our policy has got to change, Hoffman said. We got to give Ukraine the T-72 tanks they've need and they've asked for since before day one of this. They did get some from the Czech Republic, but they need more. They need more Javelin missiles, anti-ship weapons. There's a whole lot that Zelensky is asking for, and he needs every bit of it and more. The last thing we want is for this conflict to go on and cause such harm to innocent folks in Ukraine for years. That can't be our policy, but it looks like it is. Joe Biden has committed, listen to this, $2 billion for security assistance to Ukraine. And here's what it's supposed to consist of. Direct transfers of equipment from the Department of Defense to the Ukrainian military. And money. Money, money, money. An article in the Wall Street Journal editor Daniel Hennings wrote on Wednesday in a column headline, Don't Let Putin Win in Ukraine. He wrote that a settlement that could result in a divided Ukraine was potentially possible a couple of weeks ago. But that time's gone now. That result, however, assumed the war would default into a traditional military standoff between the competing armies. That's not what's happening in Ukraine. It's clear, more clear every day, that after failing to get a quick win, Putin's plan B is scorched earth. Using crudely targeted long-range missiles, landmines, and his army's historic instinct to barbarity, he is simply destroying Ukraine, its people, its economy, whole cities, and infrastructure. So, ex-CIA field officer Dan Hoffman, he agrees. 
I think we can do more, he said. I think we're allowing Putin to deter us from doing the right thing in Ukraine. I also think this administration needs to get a handle on NATO. You know, all we've, all we've talked about is not doing anything that looks bad or really, really evil to Vladimir Putin. He doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want Ukraine to be in NATO. He hates NATO. You know why? Because they never would let him bring Russia in. So Dan Hoffman says, we got to get a handle on NATO. The Baltic states and Poland, they've been more out front about not negotiating with Putin and been in agreement with Biden that Putin has committed war crimes and negotiation isn't possible, that Putin's fighting to win this war and he's ready for scorched earth. A couple of weeks ago on this show, I made this very same point. We need to get this resolved. This is what I said two weeks ago. You can go back. I, I don't remember exactly what day it is, but you could, if you want to find out, just take my word for it. I said it. <laughs> but if you want to look, feel free to go look. I said there'll come a point where he's, he's going to say enough's enough, and he's just going to go scorched earth. I don't think I used that term, but I said he's just going to turn the spigot on and give the orders to go destroy Ukraine and kill everybody and destroy everything. And, of course, he could do that by pushing a couple of nuclear buttons. And he's made it very clear. He actually said he is willing to do anything and everything if NATO gets involved directly. Hoffman said it's a waste of time for France and Germany to try to negotiate with Russia to end this, there's no off-ramp for Vladimir Putin now. There might be for some of his inner circle if they decide not to take his order. Fox News host Greg Gutfeld, whose mother-in-law was safely evacuated from Ukraine just last month. Most people don't realize that. Gutfeld has observed on the five that it's not pro-Russia to be anti-war. I like that. It's not pro-Russia to be anti-war, and that is yet to meet a pro-Russian person. I identify with that. I can't stand war. Whenever wars happen, that means somebody's going to die, somebody's going to get hurt, and somebody's going to get something that they probably shouldn't have gotten, and the only way they could get it is through going in and killing a bunch of people. I hate war. When you go back through history, when you go back through biblical history, throughout the Bible, God makes it very clear he despises war. And we should do anything and everything necessary to resolve our differences on every issue without going to war. And it doesn't matter what laws we make, what agreements we make, what treaties we make, if it's the United Nations, if it's NATO, or any other group that say, we're going to pull everybody together and we're going to work together for all our common causes. All of those things always sound good. Very seldom do those good things ever happen. Maybe one here and there, but very seldom are the bulk of those things that we hope for and we say we're pushing for, very seldom do they happen and very seldom is peace the result of all of that. 
if you lived in Ukraine, if you have someone, a relative, a good friend that is in Ukraine, lives there or visiting and got caught up in it, doesn't make any difference. Just for a moment, imagine how they feel today. When you woke up, you probably yawned and thought, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do this weekend? And you started thinking about plans and all your plans were about good things in most people's cases. If you're in Ukraine, some of you would wake up today and say, I wonder if my husband is still safe. I wonder if he's alive. Some husbands would wake up and say, I haven't seen my wife and children in almost six weeks. I'm out here fighting a war. We really don't know what we're going to do because the Russian military have more resources to use against us and they may kill us. What is going to happen to my wife and children if I get killed? And if you're a kid, you look at what's happening, you're you're spending the night hiding in a shelter, there are bombs and missiles and there are men walking through our towns shooting our friends. Nobody, and even if you're on the other side, if you're a Russian, in the Russian military, I can bet you only probably less than 5% of the people that are in that category really think what they're doing is the right thing to do. Imagine how that makes them feel. The guilt has got to be incredible. The desire to run away and get away from a war that you don't agree with. We hear stories every day about Russian soldiers deserting, dropping their weapons, and just taking off into the Ukraine forest to get away from it all, shooting holes in their fuel tanks on their vehicles so they can't move on, go deeper to kill more Ukrainian people. Who wins in a war? I'll tell you who wins in a war. The only people, the only entities that win in a war. It's the people that manufacture all the weapons and all of the other paraphernalia that are part of a war. Like clothing, like ancillary equipment, transportation vehicles, all of the weapons, all of the ammunition. Those are the only people that get any good, if you can call what they get, they're the only ones that get any good out of a war. The rest of us, we just simply pay a price. It may be in tax dollars that are deferred. They weren't originally intended to pay for war, but when a war pops up, our money, some of it, is deferred to pay for everything that goes into supporting that war. And many people aren't going to wake up tomorrow morning because of war. Nobody, nobody but the money changers do good in a war. Nobody. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. 
Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state... It's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Back to Ukraine just for a few more minutes. Another city, Borodyanka, that's in northwest northwest Ukraine, um, due west of Kviv, was occupied by the Russians. And... President Zelensky was talking about that particular city. He said it's much scarier there, even more victims of the Russian troops. So last night in his nightly video address to the nation, President Zelensky said the Russians are getting ready to shock the entire world in the same way by showing corpses in Mariupol and falsely claiming they were killed by the Ukrainian defenders. Now think about that. Think about how evil that is for a president of a company to use that to try to scare the people that they are invading their country of. Scare them to death that they'll just lay down their weapons. The city of Buka, Mayor Federuk, said on Ukrainian television, investigators have found at least three sites where there were mass shootings of civilians during the Russian occupation. He said hundreds have been killed. Investigators are finding bodies in yards, in parks, city squares, in the streets. You see the video coming out every day. It's hard to believe that's going on right now. Well, Moscow hopes that this military operation in Ukraine could end very soon. That's according to Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov. Either the country's troops are going to end it by achieving their military objectives, or Moscow and Kiev will reach an agreement through negotiations, he said. That really sounds nice. Now remember, that's one side of the conversation. Spokesman for the Kremlin, Dmitry Peskov. Thinking about a peace deal would largely depend on the consistency of Ukraine's position 
and of course, its willingness to agree to Russia's terms. (laughs) That's Peskov talking. He noted that those responsible for the crimes against civilians in the Donbass should be brought to justice. And of course, what he's saying is the Ukrainian people that we say were committing crimes against civilians in the Donbass. When he was asked about accusations leveled by Kiev against Moscow over the alleged mass killings of civilians there, Peskov asserted, such claims are nothing but a a bold fake. So as we told you a few minutes ago, more than 30 people were killed, over 100 wounded in a Russian rocket strike on a railway station. That happened early this morning, our time, in East Ukraine. Civilians tried to evacuate to safer parts of the country. It said two Russian rockets had struck a station in the city of Kramtorsk, which is used for the evacuation of civilians from areas under bombardment by the Russians. According to operational data there, more than 30 were killed, more than 100 wounded. The Russian Defense Ministry has denied claims coming from Kiev that one of its missiles target a a train station in eastern Ukraine, but we now have pictures of it, and they leveled the place. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. Now, of course, diplomacy. Joe Biden defaults to that. Other world leaders default to that. Nobody out there is willing, it seems, to roll up their sleeves like in all the television shows when there's a bully walking around. We see it most of the time in these uh, kitchen, uh, these cafeterias at schools. You know, benign little people, they get their tray of food and they just walk over to a table, they find an empty spot and they sit down and all of a sudden the bully comes up and he reaches over and knocks the entire tray of food and drink off into the floor, some of it into the lap of that young, innocent person. And everybody around laughs. And it seems like, at least on television, every time something like that happens, somebody steps up and they just slap the bully or push the bully over or throw something at the bully. And they say, in essence, I'm tired of this. You're not going to do it anymore. And they just beat the crap out of that bully. That's not happening in this war. This is the part that makes me the angriest. Our leader, our commander-in-chief, is acting fecklessly like he's either scared to death of Vladimir Putin and the Russian force or he's being blackmailed by Vladimir Putin. There's no other plausible explanation for the inactivity, the lack of involvement by our president. And then the UN gets together yesterday. Oh man, they're going to they're going to really go after Vladimir Putin and guess what they did? They voted to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. What an egregious thing to happen. Oh no, by the way, China cries foul when that happened at the UN. We of course led the push to evict Russia and it required a two-thirds majority of the 193-member General Assembly, not counting people that abstained, for the Russian suspension to pass. When it was all said and done, the dust settled, you'll be happy to know that 93 nations voted in favor of kicking them out of the Human Rights Council, 
24 countries voted against the measure. 58 nations abstained. Now, what does this all mean? (laughs) I just got a text from James Posey, and he said, you know he's being blackmailed. We all do. I, I would assume that's it because I've, I, I can't look back as v- very strange as is Joe Biden's political career. And we have a lot of visibility th- through his 40 years in the U.S. Senate. I've never seen him act this way, but he is. Anyway, what happened yesterday in the Human Rights Council is very rare in the General Assembly. They had previously passed two resolutions that condemn Russia since the beginning of this invasion. The last time it moved to suspend a nation from Human Rights Council was back in 2011. Remember that? Libya was suspended over violence that was committed by supporters of Gaddafi against protesters. But now, in the case of Russia, the U.S. has called for suspension They were triggered by accusations from Ukraine against Russian troops who allegedly killed hundreds of civilians in the Ukrainian town of Bucha. So while this council based in Geneva has no authority to make legally binding decisions, its resolutions do send powerful political statements to the world and it can give the green light to investigations. Folks, we don't need any more freaking investigations. We need somebody just simply to stand up and do something about this. And obviously, the biggest guy in the room in this case is the United States of America. Everybody, even our non-NATO partners, which one of us, Ukraine, They look to the biggest, toughest guy in the room for the most help and the most immediate help. Our previous president would have stepped up and he would have, have first of all, made it clear to Vladimir Putin, hey, you know those sanctioned things? Just consider it done. You're sanctioned. We're going to wear you out economically. Oh, but while we're doing that, we're going to kick your teeth in. Because we're sending all kinds of rockets and missiles and heavy armament to our Ukrainian partners so they can take you on toe-to-toe on the battlefield. And we're not going to give up. Vladimir, we're not going to give up. We're not going to let down. We're going to move forward, and it's going to get more and more egregious every day until you get your butt out of Ukraine. That would take care of it. It would at least make Vladimir Putin think. Now what he's doing, he's either got something on Joe or he understands and recognizes this president is in such cognitive decline. He is in no position to make good, logical decisions about anything, especially war. It's funny how all this happens overnight while we're asleep. We never even think about it. When we go to sleep, we think, you know, our world takes a little time off. We just assume everybody around the world is taking the same time level off. We don't think about the time changes. I mean, they're seven hours ahead of us in Ukraine. Seven hours. A lot happens in seven hours when you got a war going on, right? Well, let's move on. Ukraine is there. Big things happen all the time, but we'll keep you posted on it. Don't forget tomorrow, Saturday, We won't be here at TNN Live. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. 
And of course, you can always get the show here live. If you miss it, if you want to go back and get it, pick it up, download it, you can do that also. How do you do that? You go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeart Podcast, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, and of course, you can always go to our story page of the day. What does that mean? There's a story up today. You need to go check it out. It's about the January 6th con- con- committee and what they're doing and how close we are to getting it finished. After the show is over today, our show will be posted in total at the bottom of that story. We do that every day. So never miss us. We don't want you to miss a show. We're here talking about things for and with you. And that's what we want to continue to do here. And we want you to be plugged in for everything. Now, let's let's for a second, let's talk about the most amazing thing that happened yesterday in our government. It's hard for me to believe this. And this story, I mean, there's a book in it somewhere. Two men, two men have been charged charged for posing as Homeland Security officials. Now, cops are, you know, people, um, they fraudulently present themselves as cops in a lot of different cases. This is different, folks. This is really different. These people were right at the top of our government. Actually, part of Joe Biden and Jill Biden's and Kamala Harris's protection, Secret Service protection groups. I can't believe this could happen in the United States. So it brings up a lot of questions, but we won't ask the questions. Let's let's listen to the complete details of what went on. Federal prosecutors charging two men who they say pose as Homeland Security officials giving gifts to Secret Service agents, including one who worked on the First Lady's security team. ABC's chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Radith, is in Washington with more for us this morning. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, Michael. This is a wild story with allegations of lavish gifts to agents working at the White House, fake IDs, piles of money, and a big question, was someone or some country behind this? And what were they after? This morning, as the FBI gathers evidence, jaw-dropping charges against two men who authorities say for more than two years posed as Homeland Security investigating agents and the suspension of very real Secret Service agents, including one who was tasked with protecting Jill Biden, who court documents say accepted extravagant gifts from the men who have been arrested. Authorities say Ariane Teherzada and Haider Ali used this luxury D.C. apartment building just blocks from the U.S. Capitol to convince the Secret Service agents they were federal special police agents, claiming to investigate gang violence and the January 6th insurrection. And according to court documents, they had access to authentic-looking DHS badges and weapons, secure laptops, and other equipment. Those four suspended agents allegedly accepting thousands of dollars worth of gifts from the men, including rent-free apartments worth more than $3,000 a month, iPhones and a flat-screen TV, surveillance systems, and a drone. The amount of time it took, the money it took, buying the equipment, having surveillance gear, all of those things go to somebody's put up a lot of money to pull this off. 
Tahirzadeh allegedly sending photos to a Secret Service agent wearing a tactical vest with Homeland Security patches and another posing in a closet filled with police protective gear. Tahirzadeh even allegedly going so far as to have recruited one of the agents for DHS, according to court documents. Part of that process involved shooting the agent with an air rifle in order to evaluate the agent's reaction and pain tolerance. Also sending a text message to one of the Secret Service agents saying he was sitting in a class. Investigators revealing that same photo was a stock photo taken from a DHS tweet. There are so many red flags in this particular story. It's actually horrifying to me that anybody would buy into this. Certainly it was enough to convince a number of Secret Service officers that these guys were legitimate. That, of course, is just an allegation at this point. But this morning, the Secret Service saying it is fully cooperating with the investigation and that the organization adheres to the highest levels of professional standards and conduct. But this investigation is only just beginning. Robin? Only just beginning. All right, Martha, thank you. Everybody in government that ever gets caught doing something wrong, they always come back with that, oh, we're operating at the highest level. We are clean. We're ethical. We're not doing anything wrong. We're talking about the Secret Service, folks. We're talking about being in constant contact with the President of the United States and his wife. And somehow, the department in our government that is supposed to be totally, totally plugged into every eventuality or every possibility for anything that would go wrong, they're ready to handle it. And they're supposed to be the best in the business. And these guys just infiltrate them. And they're just like, oh, okay, come on down. We're glad you want to join us. (laughs) And this happens in the executive branch of the federal government. How many more times has it happened that we didn't know about? Maybe in this presidency, maybe in previous ones. You and I both know, in government, they hide a lot. They try to hide a whole lot more than we hear. And look at how they get angry and obstinate when they're ever caught doing something wrong. They never admit it when they're caught doing something wrong. Never. That's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of a bully. That's exactly what it is. So, how old are your kids? How many of them are in elementary school? How many of them are in kindergarten? The reason I'm asking you that, I I don't need to tell you that the world is full of danger for them. And it's been that way for a while, we just didn't know about it. Isn't it amazing what the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic did? The eyes that it opened, the information that we discovered. I mean, think about it. We didn't know what was going on, had no idea until we start coming out of the pandemic. And parents, many of who had to stay home, you know, those Zoom classes that schools were doing when we weren't having in-person school. And these parents were watching some of these lessons, hearing what curriculum was being foisted on their babies in school. And when they realized what was going on, I mean, from top to bottom, they just went crazy across the country. You know the story, massive numbers 
of parents at school board meetings just going crazy when they uh, uh, confront these school board members for allowing this stuff to happen. And there are so many things in it. Gender identity, critical race theory. We could go on and on and on about all the things included. You know what they are. Well, yesterday, something kind of really shocking came to the visibility up in New Jersey. A model New Jersey state curriculum provided to parents in the Westville School District and was released by State Senator Holly Shepesey shows that students should begin learning about gender identity as early as the first grade. Gender identity. Now, I'm old. I'm 68. But I remember when I was five years old. I remember when I was in the first grade. I remember the second grade. I remember my teachers. Miss Blassingale in first grade. Miss Hauser in the second grade. I remember that stuff. But I don't ever remember a situation when I was in first or second grade, or actually not until I got to junior high school, did I really pay attention to the fact that I was a boy and that person sitting over there was a girl and she was cute and I wanted to find out more about her and get to know her. New Jersey, they are teaching that those kids, first or second grade, they need to begin learning about gender identity. Now that doesn't mean learn the difference between a boy and a girl. Gender identity, that's what you as a kid or as anybody, you decide you really are. So where is this all coming from? Transgender activists. They believe that gender identity is different from biological sex. There are many people around the world like me that disagree with that. There is no such thing as gender identity. Gender identity. And I'll just dumb it down for a South Louisiana native and tell you that gender identity is based on the plumbing and nothing else. These transgender activists want to teach these first and second graders that individuals have an option. You can switch your your gender. So they're trying to spread this out and getting it into the mainstream way of thinking in America getting tolerance, you know, make it okay for that idea to stay among adults and be accepted among these kids. Many Americans believe it should not be introduced to young children for whom discussions of sex and gender and sexuality are inappropriate. And by the way, those need to happen at my house, my kids, my house, your kids, your house, not in their schools. Senator Shepsey released the curriculum materials publicly. Here's what she said. Although I voted against the legislation mandating certain sexual sex classes for even the youngest of children, I've taken a measured approach and have waited to further comment until I saw what was proposed. She said, I reviewed all of the model school instruction materials and I truly think New Jersey has lost its damn mind. (laughs) She kind of got pointed about that, didn't she? While some of the lessons I agree with, many are completely overboard with cringy details for kids, 
Some go so far as unnecessarily sexualizing children further. For me, she said, the most outrageous part are teachers are instructed to promote a website, Amaze, A-M-A-Z-E, and its YouTube channel to kids as young as nine for them to get additional information on sex ed. Nine, I was in between my uh, third and fourth grade classes. She said, I encourage all parents to take a look and decide if this is something you deem appropriate for kids, your kids, this age. I got to be completely honest with you. Every parent that has a kid in public school, and even some in private schools, I think you need to adopt a default position of thinking of curriculum being taught to your kids. And instead of trusting, your go-to position is, oh, I trust educators. I trust. I trust them. I accept them. I know they've got my kids best at heart, and they're going to do and teach the right things. We need to put that on the back burner. In fact, I think we probably need to put it on the fireplace and obliterate it, destroy it forever. We need to adopt this. And maybe all along we should have been doing that, those of us who haven't been. Your default position is, I don't trust anybody to teach my kids. I don't trust anybody just because they say they're who they are and they have a title like teacher or educator or counselor or even principal or vice principal. Just because of a title, I'm not going to put my kid in your care without knowing how you're going to treat them, what you are going to try to put into them, and that I'm not included in that process being developed. We haven't been doing that. Obviously, we haven't been doing that. And I think if we had, this would have all boiled over a long time ago and would have been nipped in the bud. So it's happening. Parents are getting up in the faces of people, not just in Tennessee, uh, in New Jersey, but in Tennessee as well. Yesterday, the Tennessee Senate sent a bill to summer study that targets obscene books in K-12 through public school libraries. This bill is going to get the parents back involved. Parents will be able to report these books they feel are harmful to their district superintendent. So there is an obscenity law. It was very controversial when it came out previously, the bill SB 1944. That law would remove the school's exemption from the law that prohibits showing obscene material to minors while also holding schools accountable for the increasing reports of sexually explicit literature and images in school materials that parents have complained about to local school board members. The school would then be forced to take these books out for 30 days to allow the school board to look through the material to see if it's acceptable for students or not. If a school district doesn't comply, what happens then? Tennessee's education commissioner would be able to withhold the money. In the House, the Tennessee House, that bill passed 63 to 24, but it didn't pass the Senate with Democratic Senator London Lamar of Memphis then asking for the bill to go to summer study. In other words, bam, it's gone. I would urge a committee not to do that. That's another Republican senator there, Joey Hensley. 
This is a very clear problem we have with obscenity in the library. It's very narrow. I would urge them not to send it there. So the Senate Judiciary Committee voted 6-3 to send the bill to summer study anyway. A school board member in Hamilton County, Rodney Aranda Thurman, said the bill focuses on what is considered to be pornographic material. I was totally shocked that there were actually mothers and ministers who found all of this material to be perfectly acceptable for students. That's probably been the biggest shock since my 17 years on the school board. That's according to Rhonda Thurman. There were actually mothers who said, this is okay, and my child should be able to get this book at school. Another state senator, Kerry Roberts, a Republican from Springfield, expressed a similar point of view, saying, some of the materials that have been shown to me are further beyond what I would have expected to see. There are far worse examples. That's part of the dilemma here of where do you draw the line? And the union got involved in it, and it goes on and on. Let me tell you what good is coming out of this. It has brought to the attention of all of us that there is stuff that's happening in our public schools that is not good for our kids. In fact, it's very bad for our kids. It puts our kids in danger, and it puts our kids solely in the hands of bureaucrats, labor union processes that put all these curriculum items together, and with big millions of dollars of campaign contributions, they use that money to squeeze and draw tight around the curriculum that are being taught to our kids in which we have no say-so. If nothing else came out that was good of COVID-19 and our pandemic, this is good that it's happened. It happened solely because parents were at home. They were tuning in and watching some of those Zoom classroom meetings that happened. They saw some of the books and curriculum items that their kids had been being presented. They were faced with it every day. We don't know how far back it went. But our kids are being indoctrinated with evil. Hmm. How do I know that? How can I say that? Real simple. If it takes out of the hands of the parents any of the process, the power, the responsibility to oversee what their kids are being taught in school, public schools, by the way, which are paid for by tax dollars. So the people that are jumping all over these parents around the nation that are pushing back on critical race theory and the curriculum and this sex stuff that's been going on and getting more and more powerful and more more and more rampant. Parents have awakened. We're not taking that anymore. Let's thank COVID-19 for that, if nothing else. Speaking of COVID, guess who's back in the news today? Fauci. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. 
Celsius. Essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. Tell you what, before we go to Fauci, I just got something and I pulled it up and I think it befits the conversation we were just having about what's going on in our public school systems regarding sex and sex education. And I don't even know if it's sex education. I think it's sex perversion. But I thought it was applicable for us when I got this. You know who Corey Ten Boom was. Corey Ten Boom was a young Jewish girl living in Germany during World War II. And if you know very much about WW2 and in Germany, you know that it wasn't a really good thing to be a Jew at that particular time. She, There's a long story. She's written books. She traveled all over the nation. I actually met her one time before she passed away. I met her a long time ago. Uh, but an amazing, uh, amazing thinker that just spit out words of wisdom to all of us for decades. So she was talking about things that happened to her when they were going through through all this in, in Germany, hiding for their lives, went to a concentration camp, saw her sister slaughtered. And regarding this topic today, here's what Corey Ten Boom said about what's going on today with our kids. Quote, so the line had stuck in my head, sex, I was pretty sure, she said, meant whether you were a boy or a girl, and sin made Tante Jans very angry. But what the two together meant, I could not imagine. And so, seated next to my father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked, Father, what is sexin'? He turned to look at me, as he always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey? he said. I stood up. I tugged at it. It was crammed with the watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. 
It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for kids. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. Now that's out of her book, The Hiding Place. Today, folks, we're asking our children to carry loads that are way too heavy for them. They shouldn't be forced as children to see and feel the world through the lens of adults. Innocence is worth protecting, and it's definitely worth fighting for. We need to do our part as parents and caregivers to carry certain things for them until they're old enough to bear the load. Words of wisdom from an icon of living through all kinds of very egregious things in her life that she had no say-so over. It just happened. Well, 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 well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, let's go to Dr. Fauci. You know, he, he sits around. He shows his head every once in a while. Typically, it's on the weekend, on a, one of the Sunday morning talk shows. And, of course, none of those or Fox News, he never goes to Fox News, he never goes to Newsmax, he never goes to One America News, but he loves to go to ABC, NBC, and CBS, and CNN. He's not very often seen on MSNBC. So Wednesday of this week, he said, Dr. Fauci said, Dr. Death, (laughs) he said it's likely that we are going to experience a surge in coronavirus cases in the fall once again. Now, what's he talking about? Well, I'll just tell you. Here's David Weston was the announcer that was interviewing him. Weston said this, does the fall look like the last couple of falls? I didn't even hear about falls and pandemics until COVID came along. And then I learned you have to be careful because we all go back indoors and the transmissibility goes up. Should we expect that again this year? Should we be bracing for October time? And Dr. Fauci, in his wisdom, the COVID god, he's Mr. Science. Well, he's not Mr. Science. He told us, and this is a quote, I am science. So everybody waited with bated breath. What is Dr. Fauci going to answer? Fauci said, I think it's likely we'll see a surge in the fall. Again, when we talk about these things, these are uncharted waters for us, this virus. If one talks about the flu or other infections in which you have decades and decades of experience, you can predict with some degree of accuracy what you might see. I would think we're going to expect that we'll see some increase in cases as you get to the colder weather in the fall. Oh my gosh, did did that make you lose your breath? Dr. Fauci and his wisdom? Basically what he said, folks, is I think we might have it. I'm not saying we will, but you know what? That's my opinion, we might have it. So in Fauci world, looking back over his shoulder, 
Here's what what he said would actually mean and the way he treated it during our coronavirus every time that he was up in front of some television cameras. And I'm going to paraphrase how he would put this. He would say this, remember this, I'm the COVID God. I'm the COVID God. I'm the highest paid federal employee. Nobody makes more than me in the federal government, legitimately by paycheck. (laughs) Of course, that doesn't mean you don't make a lot more money. But then he would say, the question is, are we going to have more COVID-19 cases and maybe some nasty stuff coming up this fall? Of course we might. I mean, after all, The Chinese put COVID-19 into our lives, and it's going to be here forever. It's a flu virus that never goes away. But never be afraid. As long as I'm with you, you're going to be fine. Why are you going to be fine? Well, you're still going to get sick, and a bunch of you are going to die. But all through this process, I'm going to make you feel better about yourself because I'm going to tell you things that, you know, I'll make you feel confident that if you do them, you're going to be okay. And even if I tell you, don't you dare do it, and you don't do it, you're going to be fine. You may get COVID, and you may die from COVID, but if you listen to me, I'm going to make the getting sick and dying make you feel a whole lot better about it happening. You're going to make a decision based on what you are confident is right for you. Why is it right for you? Well, I'm Anthony Fauci, and I only give you great wisdom. Seriously, folks, that's exactly how Anthony Fauci is being and has been portrayed on the national and even the international stage when it comes to everything to do with COVID. You and I both know flu time. When's flu season? Late fall, early winter. That's what he's talking about is going to happen again. And like it's some big revelation. Anthony, you're too old. You've put us through too much. Why don't you decide to go to the house and just slide for a few years and just let us deal with our own lives? Well, I know you know this by now. Elon Musk bought a big chunk of Twitter. He's now the single biggest stockholder of Twitter. Jack Dorsey, who founded it, doesn't own as much of Twitter as does Elon Musk. So you can imagine Elon Musk, he is a capitalist. He's one of the wealthiest people on the planet, if not the wealthiest person on the planet. He's got a lot of money. He has a lot of power because of that. And though he is pretty much, if you look at his political needle, it's somewhere, it's not straight up but it kind of leans to the left a little bit. But when it comes to business things, when it comes to things that circulate throughout our entire society, like, you know, things that are written, things that are said, he's way right. And so some of these now his woke Twitter employees, they've been griping about free-thinking billionaire investor Musk admitted to the company's board of directors And so what happened, we don't want our people to be afraid. Twitter is going to hold a town hall with them. Now, the town hall will be an Ask Me Anything featuring Elon Musk himself. 
Man, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that. We say that Twitter is what's happening and what people are talking about right now. Often, we at Twitter are what's happening and what people are talking about. That's certainly been the case this week. That is in an email written by Twitter CEO to these people that work there. Following our board announcement, many of you have had different types of questions about Elon Musk. And I want to welcome you to ask those questions to him. So word of the email and the announced um, Ask Me Anything, those come amid a flurry of reports about woke employees crying because they are worried about Musk, who, by the way, is a free speech advocate. That's what's worrying these Twitter employees. And they feel like Elon Musk being on the board of directors and having some say-so in a company that he's the largest owner of may threaten their censoring ways that they have perfected. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. The news of Tesla chief executive Elon Musk taking a board seat at Twitter has got some Twitter employees panicking over the future of the social media firm's ability to moderate content. Company insiders say that that was from Reuters yesterday. And they could, I love that. Social media firms' ability to moderate content. Here's how they moderate content. If you post something they disagree with, they either slam you for it, put a label on top of it, or they just cut you off, period. And they call that moderating content. With Musk on the board, the employee said his views on moderation could weaken years-long efforts to make Twitter a place of healthy discourse and might allow trolling and mob attacks to flourish. It's a place of healthy discourse. That's what they made it into. How do you do that if you don't like something that somebody posts or you don't like their continued posting of things that you don't like? Uh, You know, like in the case of Donald Trump, you just kick him off of Twitter for life. That's moderation. (laughs) Critics, including a bunch of elected Republicans, say the reason for this discrepancy is politics, and therefore Twitter's woke employees are upset now because they may lose the power they have. You know, they have the power now to seize your First Amendment rights, and they do it without even thinking about it. And they're worried about losing that power. And, you know, I'm a journalist I do this all the time. You are involved. If you're listening, you're involved in journalism on the receiving end, at least. They want to control every bit of that. And you have no say-so in it. While this is going on, messages shared between Twitter employees, they show them complaining that he, Elon Musk, doesn't share their so-called values. I love that. These are probably 22, 23, 24-year-old diehard techies. And their lives are not normal lives in in large part. Many of them are. I'm not not grouping everybody and putting them in Hillary's basket of deplorables. But they live in a different world than most of us do. The message was shared on Slack about Elon in this meeting. Slack is a business messaging platform, kind of like the other platforms. 
like Google, AOL Instant Messenger, and WhatsApp. Quick question. If an employee tweeted some of the things Elon tweets, they'd likely be the subject of an HR investigation. Are board members held to the same standard? Now, just remember who this is an employee. So Elon Musk knows who said this. The message writer had likely been referencing non-woke, anti-establishment, politically incorrect tweets like the one seen here. (coughs) Excuse me. Man, that happened quickly. They were referencing an April 8th tweet from Elon Musk, April 18th of 2020. He, He said this, he tweeted this. Another reason reported mortality rate is overstated is that dying with COVID is not the same as dying from COVID. Media keeps reporting former, not latter. So this person, this Twitter person, an employee, feels like that's a very bad, evil, wicked, and incorrect tweet. Folks, it's the same thing. It's absolutely the truth. And here are some other things. He, he was He's known for doing the one-liners, you know. One of his tweets says, take the red pill. Another one, when it's talking about people picking their own pronouns, Elon Musk tweets, pronouns suck. The left is losing the middle. Elon Musk, I absolutely support trans but all these pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare. And here's one with uh, a comic picture. When you put he slash him in your bio, in other words, it's, it's a picture of a soldier, a cartoon soldier who's wiping blood on his face because he's killing himself. Over the years, he, uh, he has called himself a half Democrat, half Republican, and somewhere in the middle socially liberal and fiscally Conservative. I like that. I like that. We're going to keep watch on that because it's going to be a lot of fun. There are going to be changes at Twitter. Let me just point out and make a prediction for you. You're going to love this. I promise you, with all that's within me, Donald Trump will either be back on Twitter very soon or he won't be back on Twitter because it will be his choice not the Twitter censors, but it'll be because he doesn't want to get back on. That's the difference an Elon Musk can make. And he should make it. He should make it. I don't care. You know, the First Amendment, we've heard it. I've heard it my entire life. Freedom of speech is the right for you to say anything knowing that what you say may offend someone else. But that's okay. It's constitutionally guaranteed. Because of big tech, we're way away from that. And we need to get back to it. And I would be shocked two years ago, six months ago, if you told me Elon Musk was going to be the one that would open up conversations about that, I would have said, Elon Musk? Come on, man. Well... Should we take a break here? Yeah, let's take a break. On the other side of this, there is, folks, there is some big news, new news 
about Joe Biden as president, Joe Biden as dad, Joe Biden as brother. Of course, I'm talking about the Biden family syndicate. And it all has ramped up because of that laptop, that Hunter Biden laptop. We've got some experts to weigh in on that. And some more information, some new stuff right after this. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, it would be natural for all of us, any of us or all of us, to just go after mainstream media for the lies that they maintained for two years, just totally excoriating anybody that would even talk about the possibility of the Hunter Biden laptop having anything on it that was real. All the damning stuff about Joe Biden when he was a senator, when he was a vice president, and uh, the economics part of that. But boy, CNN, (laughs) that's all they did was they railed against anybody and everybody that had any confidence that there was some truth, even a shed of, uh, of truth, in the discussions about the Hunter Biden laptop. So Joe Concha, you know him, he's an often Fox News contributor. Yesterday he weighed in. And he was talking about what the mainstream media has done and how egregious it was for the way that they have done it. And one of the key people that he targeted and one of the evilest in all of this stuff at CNN is Brian Stelter. We call him the little guy, Brian Stelter. And Joe Consa, he weighed in about Brian Stelter and some of the stuff that he was saying. And I've got a jammed computer, and I'm trying to grab that audio bite. It's really good. It's funny, too. I want you to get it. There we go. Well, let's just do this. Let's just let you listen to Joe Concha 
analyze this whole laptop thing and why it wasn't out in the front when it first was reported a couple of years ago. Actually, it came out just a month before the election. You remember that? Here's Joe Concha. Well, a college freshman calls out CNN's misleading coverage right to liberal host Brian Stelter's face. Listen to this. All the mistakes of the mainstream media and CNN in particular seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it? It's too bad. It's time for lunch. <laughs> Joe Concha joins us now. Joe, this disinformation seminar is becoming quite the event. You just heard Brian Selter there. Great yeah. question. He had no answer for it. Carly, for, for a conference that's supposed to be tackling disinformation, there's certainly a ton of disinformation being shoveled out there, right? And, and none of us got invited, thank God. Uh, and, and all this disinformation being shoveled there, it sticks to your boots. Look, after this student, his name is Christopher Phillips, and if I had a, a younger brother, uh, he would look like Christopher Phillips. Uh, he rightly points out all the things that CNN and traditional media got wrong. Uh, Russia collusion, he talked about. Jussie Smollett smearing Brett Kavanaugh as a rapist. Nick Sandman, uh, that smearing campaign against another teenager, calling the Hunter Biden story, uh, yeah, Russian disinformation. Uh, the CNN media guy answers by saying everything that Phillips broached was, quote, a popular right-wing narrative about CNN, unquote. He then proceeds not to answer any of the points that Phillips made, because who could defend the indefensible? And here's what Brian Stelter, by the way, had to say about the Hunter Biden laptop story in October of 2020. Quote, we do know that this is a classic example of the right-wing media machine, unquote. No apology for that. And then afterwards, that student, Christopher Phillips, he tweeted this, quote, I am still wondering if CNN is truly unbiased, why is every mistake they make an overstep in favor of Democrats and against Republicans? Wow, I've heard that somewhere before on the show, I think. Mm. So yeah, uh, kudos to Christopher Phillips. And in this case, uh, the, the CNN media guy uh, it, it was trending last night, one of the top trending topics on Twitter, for all the wrong reasons, guys. Well, Joe, last hour we spoke with Daniel Schmidt. He's the University of Chicago student um, that we were talking to who pressed the Atlantic writers on the media's dismissal of the Hunter Biden story. Listen to what he had to say. Yeah. These people come to these university events expecting no resistance, expecting students to just sort of worship them and ask easygoing questions. And when you even just tug at them a little bit, they clearly feel th threatened. You know, they're probably 18 or 19 years old, and they're really pressing these people uh, and calling them out. I, I'm impressed here, guys. Uh, Daniel Schmidt, if he's in Chicago, he was on with you like in the 3 o'clock hour. That's when I used to like start to go out uh, at college. So good for him. He looked very spry and sober. Uh, yeah, it, it's. I, I think that these folks like Stelter or you saw all these other uh, liberals there or uh, people pretending to be Republicans think they could go to these events and get t-ball and softball questions. And instead, they're being challenged uh, by those that weren't even uh, born last century. So, so good for them. It's good to challenge these folks uh, because they think they're, they're they're ubiquitous and they know it all in these situations, omnipotent, and uh, that's certainly not the case. Yeah, Joe, we want to talk to you about the one of the biggest TV events that's happening right now, which is the Masters, and Tiger Woods is back after nearly losing a leg just 14 months ago. Know you have some thoughts on this. What are they? 
Uh, well, look, there's three guys that when you watch a sporting event, they make you stop and watch it if you otherwise would not watch that sporting event, right? And that is Michael Jordan, uh, Mike Tyson in his prime, and Tiger Woods. And there were people watching that tournament yesterday, middle of the day, that otherwise wouldn't even have known that the Masters was on. And look, the Masters' lowest-rated uh, uh, event was last year when Tiger didn't play, at least lowest-rated since 1957. The two highest-rated of the past 25 years both occurred when Tiger Woods won. No individual can change viewership single-handedly quite like Tiger. And the fact that this guy was in an accident 507 days ago where he didn't know whether he would survive with both of his legs intact, and now he's competing at a high level, shooting under par and striking distance of the leaders. It's a great story regardless yeah. of whether he wins this weekend or not, Yeah, this guys. is Tiger's 24th Masters appearance, but this one just feels more special. We know what you will be doing this weekend. Absolutely. Have a great one, Joe. We'll see you on Monday. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Bye. You deserve you it. Monday. I'm Steve Ducey. You know what I, what, I, what I thought of when they were putting those two stories together? I think it's kind of interesting the story started with the Hunter Biden stuff and then it ended with Tiger Woods. Just for a moment, compare those two men. Hunter Biden and Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, he didn't have wealthy family members. His dad was with him the whole way when he was a kid, just hitting golf balls. His dad was with him. He goes to school. He gets a chance to play college golf at Stanford. I don't want to say Tiger Woods is a self-made man, but he didn't have a bunch of people out there running um, running herd for him on opportunities, potential opportunities out there. Tiger is kind of a, uh, a symbol for dads everywhere, moms and dads everywhere, that they may not be very wealthy. They may not have a lot. They may not have a lot of opportunity and the ability to give their kids special opportunities and give them financially the ability to go do things. Instead, they have to learn how to live, you know, how to handle problems in their life, like it's school, in their social settings, getting ahead, having opportunities and taking advantage of them. That's all part of growing up. In my opinion, Hunter Biden missed a lot of that. And he missed a lot of that because he was born into and raised in a family that is a political family, and not just a political family, a D.C. swamp family, the epitome of what we talk about when we mention the word swamp. And, of course, growing up in that, Hunter Biden's default position on everything is, hey, I'm Hunter Biden. Everything in my life revolves around me. And anything and everything that I go get that I want, that I go find a way to get, it's okay for me to do whatever it takes because I'm Hunter Biden. My dad is Joe Biden, former senator, longtime U.S. senator, very powerful man in positions in the Senate. Oh, my goodness. Then he ends up being the vice president of the United States, serves eight years, along with his buddy, Barack Obama, the president, and then OMG, he's now the president of the United States. I'm Hunter Biden. And everything that I have done, everything good or bad that I have done, it was okay for me to do it. You know why? Because I'm Hunter Biden. Compare those two for a minute. Compare Hunter Biden and Tiger Woods. Tiger, he's no different than the rest of us. He's a man. 
in that regard, he is the same as we are. He faces similar challenges. He grew up a generation behind me, so he had different challenges in some ways, but I had different challenges from those he's faced. But you got to respect the guy. Here he is, like they said in that conversation, he almost lost a leg. And here he is, and he finishes the first round one under. And let me tell you what a big deal that is. You may not realize this. They can't use golf carts on the PGA Tour. Every golfer has to walk. Tiger Woods has got a problem with that leg. He's not 100%, folks. In fact, he made the statement when he was asked, I think last week in one interview, does he think that he can win the Masters? if he plays, because he didn't decide for sure he was going to play till over this past weekend. When he was asked that, he made a very salient response. Here's what he said. Yeah, I can win the Masters. I'm not worried about my golf. I'm worried about walking the course. Now think about that. (laughs) Can you imagine Hunter Biden with all that we know about him and I got to be completely honest with you. I don't know the guy. It's not like Tiger Wood being on the TV, watching him every week for 24 years. There's no comparison there. But the, what we know about Hunter Biden, can you see him being the kind of person facing the same kind of obstacles would actually say the same thing that Hunter Biden said about this week at the Masters? Hmm. Let's move on. Tulsi Gabbard. You know who she is. She is a former U.S. House of Representative, a Democrat from Hawaii. She then ran for president, ran for the uh, Democrat nomination for the 2020 election, and of course she didn't make it. But she's been in the middle. She has a career in the military, active military overseas. She knows a lot of things that others don't that get into politics just simply because she's been on the front lines. She knows about military issues and military politics. That being said, she knows about corruption, corruption at the highest levels. Folks, she spent two years in the Democrat Congress, (laughs) so you know she knows a lot about corruption. She weighed in on Sean Hannity's show last night about corruption and what's going on among the elites that have been controlling the narrative for every situation that comes up. They control the narrative. They decide what's said and who says it and who can't say it. Listen to this back and forth between Hannity and Tulsi Gabbard. Here we have two weeks before the election. This laptop shows up. Um, it's immediately dismissed by everybody. Oh, Russian disinformation. Nobody looked into it. Even 51 former intelligence officers, oh, it's Russian disinformation. Turns out to be true. The media lied the whole time. And I just outlined 12 separate instances where we catch Joe Biden lying, saying repeatedly during the campaign, uh, I've never talked to my son, not one time about his foreign business dealings, yet we have pictures with Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and some of his foreign business partners. So um, I can only imagine what the media reaction would be if it's Trump, 
What do you think this means for the Bidens, especially now that a grand jury is being asked about who the big guy is that we know to be Joe Biden? Uh, well, Sean, you know, the Biden family corruption issue is a very, very serious problem. Uh, I think as you point to all of these examples, uh, it points to actually an even deeper, more serious problem that, that poses an existential threat to our democracy. And that problem lies in the fact that you have the mainstream media, you have social media, you have Google, which is much bigger and more powerful than social media, and you have the security state, as you saw with these 51 senior level intelligence officials, all working as the arm and mouthpiece for the Washington elite, the power elite. Uh, this is not a real functioning democracy. We see dictatorships that also have elections, but they have almost total control over their media, and it makes it virtually impossible for any opposition candidate to challenge and, and win. And so when we look at what we're facing here, it's not so different. They decide, okay, Biden's the guy that we want to win. Here's the information that we want voters to see. We're going to shove away and hide any information we don't want them to see. And then we as voters have to make our decision about who we're going to vote for or not vote for based on what is essentially propaganda coming from those in power, this Washington so, elite, this power elite. And that is what poses this existential threat to our democracy that we all need to be very clear eyed that we're dealing with here. So we have zero experience, Hunter, getting all this money, all these deals with China, a $100,000 shopping spree, $1.5 billion deal, Bank of China, $30 million uh, deal, as chronicled by Peter Schweitzer. <clears throat> we know that he, they got $3.5 million from a Russian oligarch, the former first lady of Moscow. We know they got enough money designated for a sports car from a Kazakhstan oligarch. Then we have Burisma paying Hunter no experience in oil, gas, energy, or Ukraine. He's getting paid millions, his company. And then Joe leverages a billion dollars of our money, says, you're not getting it. You got six hours. Fire that prosecutor that's investigating my son, uh, or I'm headed home. Uh, and son of a B, they fired the guy. Now, that looks like a real quid pro quo with Joe to me. And it looks like the Biden family combined with all that money from all these countries, I have a pretty good inclination that they know all about Hunter Biden, his crack addiction, his proclivity towards, let's say, women of the night. I'll clean it up as best I can. And I believe that the president is likely compromised. Am I wrong? Yeah, this is a serious issue, Sean. It has to be investigated. Uh, this kind of corruption shouldn't exist within our government. Unfortunately, it does, and it has for a long time. Uh, as we approach the, two, the 2022 elections later this year, as we approach the 2024 election, what I, what I really want to redirect people's uh, focus and attention on is this fact that, that you have the Washington elite that is essentially controlling what we see and hear. The reason why this is important for us to know is because we as voters have to be able to sift through that propaganda in order to try to find and recognize the real truth and information and make that best informed decision so that we can get rid of these politicians who are part of this establishment and continuing to, to propagate this nonsense and this insanity that is posing this real threat to the existence of our actual democratic republic. Let me say this. If we don't get anything good out of the four years, that's assuming Joe Biden makes it through four years of his administration, if we don't get anything else out of it good except the knowledge and the understanding that, yeah, all that we suspected for all these years, 
that the elitist are the ones that control everything in Washington. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican in service in the House or in the Senate, yeah, that's okay. But it's not important because the elite know how to manipulate all that. They make it, at the end of the day, come out with the answers and the solutions that they want. Not necessarily, sometimes it is, thank God, but not necessarily always what the people want, the people that vote for them, the people that send them to Washington, D.C., the people that get the power from the people to do all of this evil stuff. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever worked at a corporation where you as an employee, you decide what your pay is going to be? You decide what your benefits are going to be. You decide the calendar of which days you're going to work, which days you're not. And the only people you answer to are your fellow people that have the same situation and have the same rights as you. That's the United States Congress, folks. Do you realize they determine how much money they make? They determine what their salaries are. They determine what their uh, benefits are. And they determine the calendar for the days that they're going to work. They do all of that, and you and I have no input into it. The only input we have is when we go to the voting booth and we pull the trigger or push the button or write the name of the people that we want to serve us, and we choose those. And then our ability to ascertain what they're going to do, if it's okay for them to do it, whatever it is, And then the only way you have to hold them accountable is next time they come up for election, you know, two years down the road, we decide to send them packing and pick somebody else knowing they may do the same stuff. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this. And what about this? Ah. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Hey, is it okay if we uh, we put some Donald Trump into our story today? Do you realize that 
Donald Trump, if he chooses to run again for president, that would happen in the fall of 2024. Do you know he would be 78 years old if he runs again? It just seems to me, still, I haven't seen him do anything. I haven't seen him say anything, act any way that shows that he's the age that he is now. Well, how old is he now? Do you realize he and Joe Biden are the same age? Look at Donald Trump. Look at the way he operates. Look at the way he talks. Look at the way he says. Look how animated he gets. Well, there's a lot of speculation about him running again for president coming up in 2024. So in an interview yesterday with the Washington Post, he weighed in on some things. And um, he weighed in on one of the things he did was, is he going to run? And if he doesn't run, is there anything that would stop him from running again? And guess what his answer was? You always have to talk about health. You look like you're in good health, the interviewer said. But tomorrow you get a letter from a doctor saying, come see me again. That's not good when they use the word again. I don't want to comment on running, he said. But I think a lot of people are going to be very happy by my decision. I'm one of those people. I want him to run, and I believe he is going to run. Now there's conversation going on about whether, if he does run, his running partner for VP would be Mike Pence, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or maybe even former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. If I ran, Trump said, I can't imagine that any of these three would want to run for president against me. Some, out of loyalty, would have had a hard time running, he said. I think that most of those people, and almost every name you mention, is there because of me. In some cases, because I back them and endorse them. Meanwhile, he disputed rumors that there are tensions between him and Ron DeSantis. The Florida governor has also denied those claims. I have a good relationship with Ron, Trump said. I have a good relationship with all the names you mentioned. Would they run against me? I doubt they would run against me. I doubt it. As for Pence, the former president told the Washington Examiner last month that he's ruling him out as a possible running mate. I don't think the people would accept it. This is Trump talking. Mike and I had a great relationship, except for the very important factor that took place at the end. We had a very good relationship. I haven't spoken to him in a long time, he said, adding, I still like Mike. Trump's former White House physician, Representative Ronnie Jackson of Texas, he told reporters several years ago that Trump is in good health. I told the president that if he had a healthier diet over the last 20 years, he might live to be 200. So it's interesting what's there in the future, the possible what's there for Donald Trump regarding running for president again. So we're going to end the day with another story about Donald Trump. Co-host Sonny Hostin on The View. She said yesterday that her family considered suing the Trump administration at one point following the deaths of her in-laws from COVID and her cohorts on The View gleefully fantasized over the possibility of doing so. A bunch of people on the left have engaged in never-ending blame against Donald Trump and his team following the outbreak of the pandemic and how he handled it. 
if all these people who got COVID because of the lies and misinformation, isn't there a class action suit that they could sue the administration and all those people who took our words and changed them or took them out? That's co-host Joy Behar. She was addressing guest co-host Stephanie Grisham, who was one of the White House press secretaries during the Trump administration. But Hostin ran with the answer. She said, my family has thought about this a lot, especially because Manny's parents died from COVID, and I blame the Trump administration for that. She was very bitter. But can you sue them, Behar pressed, holding out hope upon hope that they could do so. We've explored it, Hostin said. We've explored it. We've thought about it. Uh, just by the way, just, just going to throw a little tidbit out there. More people have died under this president's watch than died under Donald Trump's watch. So does that mean you ought to consider suing Joe Biden? Hmm. I really don't give a rip about what they say <laughs> on The View, but it's interesting to know that there are people out there that are so deluded. That's a wrap on the show today. Thanks for being here. Tomorrow, our Saturday bullet points. Don't you dare miss it. Our most read offering of every week. We catch up and catch you up on the big stories of the week. We're back Monday, like always, 9 to 11 a.m. Central at TNN Live. You guys have a great weekend. Enjoy it. So you cannot escape my love and you cannot outrun my covenant. I made a vow to chase you to the end. And it's just the way I love you. It's just the way I chase